Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. This week, we celebrate Thanksgiving with Bill Federer. Dr. Kenneth Hill looks at why we have so many churches. Larry Spargimino and Marvin McIlvaney share important headlines from the end times. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. As we begin a brand new week together, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who attended our Prophecy Conference in Las Vegas this past weekend. Sunrise Bible Church was packed. We heard excellent presentations by our lineup of speakers. We saw old friends and made a bunch of new ones. We're starting to schedule 2023 conferences, so be sure and check the events page of our website often for the latest locations and times. And if your church would like to host one of our upcoming conferences, let us know swrc.com, or you can call 1-800-652-1144. Today, Pastor Larry will be answering an important question about Christ. Right now, Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill is here to share his thoughts on two destinations people think a lot about, heaven and hell. I want to talk in just a few minutes about a book that is a new book from someone who's not been here in three decades or so. David Weber was formerly the speaker on this broadcast, and this broadcast now has almost 90 years under its belt, so there have been a number of speakers. But David Weber was the son of the founder, E.F. Weber. And David led this ministry for quite a while until his retirement. And this book, Heaven and Hell, has not been published. We actually had some people who worked hard to put this together from the notes that David Weber left behind. David Weber said this in the original He said, the book is dedicated to the lost, those who are living today without Jesus Christ. I plead with you to accept Christ and join me in heaven for all eternity. Indeed, the biography of Dr. David Weber is unique. From 1959 till 1988, he served as the president of Southwest Radio Church Ministries. His father, E.F. Weber, founded Southwest Radio Church in 1933. David grew up in the ministry, assumed full-time duties when his father passed away in 1959. He was an accomplished and trained instrumental and vocal musician. He was also an expert on Bible prophecy. He was a prolific author and a popular conference speaker. He wrote hundreds of books and published articles on prophecy and theology. He was active in missions worldwide, traveled to Africa, Asia, Europe, Israel, and the Middle East. David went home to be with the Lord in 2004. But his legacy continues through his writings and many hours of recordings. And I am happy to share with you some of what we find in the book, Heaven and Hell. David Weber began in chapter 1 by asking for a favor. He said, I want you to join me in praying that the message in this book 
will bring precious souls to Christ and cause them to think about eternity. Also, please pray that we study these important subjects. And when we do that, believers will be encouraged in their faith and God will be glorified. And so, this is David Weber. His heart is shown clearly through the book, Heaven and Hell. He said in writing about heaven, he wanted to give an uplift and insight into the subject. So he calls the first chapter the door to heaven. He believes that it's a good thing to have a door to get to the beautiful place called glory or heaven. And he said, please pray with me that these teachings will be used to encourage people to come to Christ, the only biblical way to heaven. Jesus is the door. In John 10, Jesus talks about the sheepfold, and I believe he's talking about heaven, although the word heaven does not appear. This is from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know him, and they know his voice. A stranger will they not follow, but will flee from hirelings. Important for us to recognize that. They'll flee from him, for they knew not the voice of strangers. The parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Once again, that's from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. According to John 10, 9, he's the door to heaven. I believe that when it says, he that climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, is speaking about those who do not seek God, but try to do things in his way by himself. So to me, it's a description of heaven and Jesus Christ is the door. Those who hear his voice will obtain heaven because the Bible says that they will be saved and shall find pasture. In other words, their needs shall be supplied. If you're a Christian, you have heaven. The day that never ends as your future home 
it is glory. In heaven, all things will be new. It will be the day when time stands still. The Bible tells us there's coming a time when there will be no more time. We believe, according to the scriptures, that God inhabits the praises of eternity. He's not bound by the dictates of time. In the words of the old song, He the pearly gates will open so that I may believe. He will open so I can enter in. For he purchased me and forgave me of all my sin. Believe me, dear friends, no one will enter heaven except through the door, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus purchased our redemption. Christ Jesus redeemed us and made us free from sin and death. And the judgment that was against all who descended from Adam, the judgment was stayed. Indeed, it was laid upon Jesus. Heaven is indescribable. No subject should give us greater thrill to talk about than heaven. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9. As we try to describe heaven, the aspiration of the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, the tribulation saints, and the millennial saints, no earthly pen can hope to convey the completeness of joy and the fullness of peace that will be ours as Christians. Born-again believers in God's new heaven and new earth. Having inhabited this earth, where empires crumble and fade away, where death and destruction are rampant, it is hard for us to conceive of a kind of world in which there is no death and no destruction. But that day is coming. I'm afraid the doctors will just have to play golf. They will be out of a job. And as far as construction, Jesus Christ said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am there, there you may be also. And he said, I wouldn't have told you this if it were not true. So we don't know whether any construction workers will be employed in heaven. He may have it all finished for us. We know that it will not be corrupted. It will not need repairs or renovations. And someday God will reveal our heavenly inheritance, and it will be beyond human words. The false and empty shadows, the life of sin are past. God gives me mine inheritance, the land of life at last. Yes, Jesus is the door. He is the only way that you will have a home in heaven complete someday. And the question then is one that's very succinct and for us. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Chapter 2 and the chapters that follow 
give detailed descriptions of heaven. And then in the second part of the book, they give descriptions of what you'll be facing in hell. And think about this. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. When this happens, God will have rid of the universe of the last vestige of man's pollution through sin. Every Christian will enter the most thrilling glory that God could prepare and has prepared. It's a new heaven and a new earth. The heavens will not be unclean in God's sight, and the new earth will have no curse, no sin, no death, no destruction. The former earth shall not be remembered. The first inklings that God gives us about the divine inheritance for us is found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. In other words, God's headquarters are in heaven. The third heaven above our atmosphere, and of course, the part of heaven, the second heaven, where there is no gravitational pull as we feel it upon the earth. And up about a hundred miles above the canopy of the earth, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, so writes the Lord in his word for us. Have you ever heard someone say, the devil made me do it? Well, in a few years ago, only half the population, 52% could have made such a claim, but... The Gallup poll shows that these days, two-thirds of Americans, or 65%, believe in the devil at the end of one of the most contentious years in recent memory, marked by natural disasters, emotional temptations, sensual trials, work being done, including skullduggery and nasty election campaigns. 73% believe there is a hell, up from 67% in 1981 and 66% in 1968. On the positive side, 9 in 10 Americans think there is a heaven. 79% believe in miracles. 72% believe in angels. And so we have belief in heaven as high across the demographic spectrum as it can be. And so it is. 
that people believe in heaven, but they also believe in hell. It reveals some interesting divergences. 75% of those under age 65 are believers. Above that, the figure drops slightly to 64%. Politics is a factor. 84% of those who voted for George Bush in 1992 say there is a hell, but only 65% of Ross Perot and Bill Clinton voters agree. This trend is also reflected in presidential approval. And he goes on and on giving us these statistics about heaven and about hell. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat apart upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Heaven and Hell by author and broadcasting pioneer Dr. David Weber is an excellent resource that looks into heaven, hell, Satan, angels, and the new heaven and new earth. SWRC took one of David Weber's radio programs from 1990 and created this special book, making it his first book in 30 years. Order Heaven and Hell by David Weber today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. We want to invite Pastor Larry into the studio now. We have a question for you. Pastor Larry, did Jesus shed his blood for people who will never be saved? Now, friends, this is a very important question. Did you know that there is lots of confusion over this question today? The question focuses on the nature of God. Did Jesus die for everyone because he loves everyone and desires their salvation? Or did Jesus die only for some, the elect in particular, and no one else? Now, Calvinists believe, among other things, that the death of Jesus Christ did not give all people an opportunity to be saved. They believe that the death of Jesus Christ actually secured and guaranteed the salvation of those whom God predestinated to be saved, and only them. This view of the death of Christ is called limited atonement. This is the L in TULIP. Limited atonement is also called particular redemption. The benefits of the death of Christ are for a particular group of people, the elect, and for no one else. The answer to the question that we're trying to answer, did Jesus shed his blood for people who would never be saved, is no. At least that's the answer the Calvinist would give. Now, I believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus died for all, even for those who would never be saved. There are several verses that support this. 1 John 2, verse 2 says, 
And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word world is a translation of the word cosmos. 1 John 5.19 uses cosmos world in a very inclusive sense. The whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, that's a pretty good description of fallen sinners of people all over the world. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, speaking of God, and it says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? Verse 4 says, Who gave himself a ransom for all. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers, preached on 1 Timothy 2.4. Now, I should point out that Spurgeon considered himself a Calvinist, but listen to what he said about 1 Timothy 2.4. He was really against limited atonement. Quote, Most of you are acquainted with the general method in which our older Calvinistic friends deal with this text. All men, say they, that is, some men. As if the Holy Ghost could not have said, some men, if he meant some men. All men, say they, that is some of all sorts of men, as if the Lord could not have said all sorts of men, if he had meant that. The Holy Ghost by the Apostle has written all men, and unquestionably he means all, close quotes, wrote Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Calvinist. So back to our question. Did Jesus shed his blood for people who will never be saved? Yes, indeed, because all men are not saved, but Jesus died for all men, So we die for people who will never be saved. Now, I ought to point out that there is one verse that absolutely makes all those who hold to particular redemption or limited atonement scramble to find an answer. Thus far, they have not been successful. I don't think they ever will find an answer because their view is wrong. The verse is 2 Peter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now listen to this who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. We read that there are people who deny the Lord that bought them. What happens to these people? The Bible says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. Jesus died for them. Jesus bought them, but they bring themselves upon themselves swift destruction. These are people who have been bought by the Lord. By the way, bought is the same word that is used in 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Jesus died for everyone, the saved and the unsaved. The death of Jesus on the cross guaranteed the salvation of no one. The death of Christ gave all people the opportunity to come to faith But the death of Jesus Christ on the cross did not guarantee the salvation of anyone. The death of Christ is sufficient for all, without exception, but efficient only for those who believe. Now, that's heavy stuff, and I think that is so important, even though it's heavy, even though it's theological. It has a lot to do with whether or not you and I will get busy winning the loss. Now, let me refer you to 2 Peter 2, 1. It's a very important verse in this discussion. There are people who deny the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So what do Calvinists say about this verse? Well, they claim that the word Lord in this verse does not refer to Jesus Christ. The word that Peter uses is despotes, not kurios, which is the usual word in the Greek New Testament referring to Jesus. Is this a valid argument? Absolutely not. 
There are several passages in the New Testament that clearly refer to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet the word used is despotes, the same word used in 2 Peter 2.1. For example, in Luke 2, we read of the prophecy of Simeon in verses 27 through 30. We read this, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, the word is despotes, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So here Jesus Christ is referred to with the word despotes. And then also in Acts 4, verse 24, the scripture says, And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, there's that word despotes, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. What amazing verses these are. And I think it's really important that we base our soteriology, our view of salvation on the word of God and not on some theory that has been used and bandied about to do, I believe, a great deal of harm, and it is doing a great deal of harm today, killing people's zeal. And they say, well, it doesn't matter. Everything is predestinated. Uh, What will be will be, so what's the use? And that's the way people are thinking. And I think that's very, very unfortunate because we are in days of revival. We are seeing revival in different parts of the world. We need to get busy. So Calvinists need to remember that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, are we to assume that Jesus was praying only for the so-called elect in that insane crowd and no one else? Of course not. Friends, our world is in a great upheaval. There are multitudes perishing all around us. This is not the time to lose our sense of urgency by being led astray by some so-called theologians. God is not following a blueprint where the finished product has already been predetermined. Let's be instant, in season and out of season, praying, witnessing, and asking the Holy Spirit to energize and to direct us. May God help all of us to be faithful in our witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of all them that believe. Did you know that our website, swrc.com, has over 700 prophecy materials? Books and DVDs that help bring clarity to the world and make sense of all of the nonsense. New items are being added almost every day. swrc.com. Hundreds of books and DVDs right there for you, your Sunday school, homeschool, or small group. Check it out, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Heaven and Hell by author and broadcasting pioneer Dr. David Weber is an excellent resource that looks into heaven, hell, Satan, angels, and the new heaven and new earth. Order Heaven and Hell by David Weber today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can always order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, we look at headlines from the end times. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station, 
by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Please visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.